0: Good morning. It's a pleasure to be here with you to talk about this great subject about our relationship with our church. This uh, this relationship series is something that I asked Dan a while back. I'm not trying to take credit. I want you to understand something. Could we do a a relationship series? And then I started to think about all the different relationships we had. When I picked the church, right after. The relationship we have with one another, which was last Sunday, I wanted there to be a specific difference, so I'm pretty excited that just as we organized our preaching that I got to talk about the church today, because very near and dear to our hearts and to my heart is teaching people in this crazy generation what the church really is all about, because there is a tremendous amount of criticism for the church and confusion and you are god's people and i want you to be built up encouraged and on the right path when you think about your relationship with your church and so this is a heart-to-heart talk using ephesians chapter 4 from paul so have your have your folder this worship folder open to page seven because as i refer to it I, uh, we're going to read through the scriptures on the slides but as i refer to it it'll be easier for you if you just look down at when i tell you to uh, at a certain passage have you had somebody say to you, or have you heard about it being said? You don't have to raise your hand or anything. I don't believe in organized religion. Uh, the first time someone said that, that to me, I was completely stunned. I did not. I did. I hadn't heard it. I did not know how to respond. It sounded so pure. It sounded so smart but it's laced with judgment and criticism. As if to say, the organized church is in the way of God. And that if you really are having a good and healthy relationship with God, you don't need all those people that are organized in religion that are gonna mess with your mind and get you off track or get your money or try to control, whatever it is, there's, it's just laced with that kind of thinking. I don't believe in organized religion. And I want to equip you on how to not only understand that, but maybe how to answer. I don't believe in organized education. How does that work for you? Imagine a a, a, an astronaut sitting there on the, the in the in the cockpit of a rocket and he says, I don't believe in organized science. Or a pilot who's going through the checklist in the front of the plane. I don't believe in organized procedure. Or your surgeon. I don't believe in organized medicine. It's crazy, isn't it? But you tack it on to religion and it sounds so smart. Well, what if I told you God believes in organized religion? That's the way to answer the person. What do you mean God believes in it? Yeah, he he organized the universe. He created it. It's his baby. He created marriage. He created two genders and and said on the day he created them, "I, I created marriage. That marriage is his institution. It's organized. There's a male and a female and there's roles. And he created the church. And in case you haven't noticed, half the New Testament... Is letters to organized churches. And in those letters, he says all kinds of things about, under God, with faith, how to organize and stay properly organized. Now there's, granted, a whole bunch to our American organization of churches that's not in Scripture. And it's it could be it we, we call it adiaphora something not spoken about in Scripture. It can be up to that individual group. But those, the organizations that we create, like our Lutheran church body, is created under those scriptures that have guide us on being organized. And there's a really good reason God wants it that way. And today, I'm going to show you from Paul's letter to a church that's organized in Ephesus where Paul had gone and stayed for three years and there was no church when he first got there. And when he left, it was very, uh, a very healthy, large church that had many different uh, sites that they were doing ministry at around Ephesus. And Paul was teaching them while he was there how to stay organized by faith under God to do his bidding and to be close to him and grow in faith. And now when he writes a letter, he's not there anymore he still is writing about what Jesus is doing for the purpose, his purposes for the church and how he's leading them as an organized church. And Jesus says there are, or Paul says there are two in this, he doesn't number it this way, I'm going to show you. There are two purposes for the church that are on the, at the top of the list. And under those two purposes, he's teaching us To keep our head clear and don't let some skeptic somebody that's mind is unrenewed it doesn't know god through the the grace of our lord jesus christ it doesn't understand how beautiful jesus is and how he's redeemed people and brought them together around that grace don't let them intimidate but also educate you with statements like i don't believe in the organized religion instead i want you to listen to god And what he says about your church, about all churches, because it's very beautiful and it's very powerful. So we're going to jump into the text. I'm going to read it. I'll stop just a little bit to try to help you understand what you're reading with me. But uh, then we're going to talk about those two big purposes that Paul gives us. So let's go to the text. I, I think on this one, I'd like for you to just read this along with me. Okay. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Let's leave that slide up. Do you notice all the unity talk? This section of his letter to the church in Ephesus is he's saying, God, by his gospel, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, his word, he has made you all his Christians and brought you together. The word church in the original and in our language means a group that's been brought together out of the world. We are defined as a group, a church. We're organized just under that one umbrella. We're brought out of the world and pulled together through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the heart of God is that we would love it and and be attracted to it, the church, and be actively a part of a united body of believers. That's what that paragraph's about. Let's go to the next paragraph. Now, Now he's going to talk about you and me as individuals. But Let's read it together. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Paul is writing the New Testament letter to the Ephesians, quoting from the Bible of their day, which is the Old Testament, and he's quoting Psalm 68, verse 18. And this is what he's saying. Jesus Christ, the the Psalms were written before Jesus came. The, The Psalm prophesied that Jesus was coming and that he would descend and ascend. And when he ascended, he would take many captives. The captives are actually us. We're brought out of the world and captive to Christ. And he gave gifts to his people. And Jesus gave gifts to us, his people. And at the beginning, before he quotes that passage, he says, To each one, he gives it as he apportions it. So think of it this way I've been given the gift of life. I don't know how many more days I have on this planet, but so far, I've been given 56 plus years. That's a gift he gave me. He gave you your gift of life. It's different than mine, it won't be exactly the same. He gave you your gender. That's a gift. He gave you your intellect. Your, your background, your family upbringing, good, whether you think it's good or bad is not his point. He gave it to you as a gift. He gave you your talents, your abilities, the people to educate you. He gave you your spiritual gifts that are like encouragement and wisdom and prophecy and uh, mercy and service. Everybody has these, this. Every person has it. And guess when you lose the gifts? When you die and then you gain heaven. Not when you retire. (laughs) Not when you divorce. Not when you change jobs or get sick. Not when you're single. Not when you're married. Not when you got a whole bunch of kids. Not when you got no kids. Your gifts are yours. All of these are yours and they are as He decided. And he didn't give you all the gifts, and he didn't give me all the gifts. And we'll talk in a minute about why, and I know you're probably starting to you get that, why. But let's read the text further. Go with me. This is, a, this is Paul now with a parenthetical remark. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Okay, so he's saying, I quoted that passage. Jesus came down, then he ascended. Let's go to the next paragraph. So Christ himself gave, now here's a list of servants. Go with me. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. Stop right there. He gave gifts to every individual person, but to the church, here's some leaders that he's given. So you are right in expecting at your church that somebody would be a gift to your church as a pastor, teacher, leader, evangelist, a Hannah, for Hannah's world, and on and on and on. He gives leaders to the church to lead the Word of God ministry as a, as a gift, but he does it for you, not for me but for you. And here's why. Let's read together. To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Remember how the section began? One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Well, the leadership of the church is supposed to be leading in the Word so that each of us is drugged back together and growing and maturing. If you will, the Word of God ministry is supposed to be invasive and clear and transparent and robust and working on the hearts of the people so that each of us is getting groomed always back to be more like Jesus and to become One body always folding itself like kneading the dough and folding back and folding back and folding back. And that's the leadership's job to do that, to equip us and to mature us. Let's go on. Then, when that happens, okay, ready? Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ." Now, you just read through with me and listened to my, my little asides. Think of what, you're, what these words of God say to you and think of this person over here going, I don't believe in organized religion. They're in two different worlds, aren't they? That person, we need to be loving and humble. That person has no idea that the church is about Jesus Christ who redeems us and then uses the body of believers to grow us and to give us an opportunity to bless others. I just told you the two main points of the section. The purpose of the church is to grow us into the the Jesus likeness and to give us opportunities for service that are meaningful and they are a blessing to others. That's what the whole section is about. But I haven't preached long enough for me or you, so I'm going to elaborate just a little bit. The first purpose is to grow us into Christ's likeness It was a long time ago, Uh, my son Seth and our foster son Josh were in the school here and they we were at a a, a, having a private school basketball game they were pretty good in basketball i was very proud of them they knew a lot more about basketball than i ever did (laughs) they were like 12 and 13 i was standing watching the game this man that uh, was interested in josh's mother standing next to me he says do you have these boys in aau basketball i said no what is that he goes, they have a lot of talent, but he said, they're not really getting, they're not really getting taught the game. Uh, they're, they're ready to go to the next level. And it just kind of washed over me that I was, that was something about parenting for kids who like sports that had never even occurred to me, that I would try to give them an opportunity to learn and grow more by getting them involved in, a, in another sport, but it took an outsider to come in who knew the game, probably played a lot in his life, knew it very well, and knew how to what? Bring people along in a skill and to grow into it, right? Now, I, I use that illustration for the church. If you're out there by yourself with faith in Jesus Christ, you're saved, Right? But if someone is, is that way, and they're say, maybe they're the guy saying, I don't believe in organized religion, but they have faith in Jesus. But they don't understand that the purpose of the church is actually to grow them into the likeness of Christ in community with leadership around them that will be invasive and transparent and robustly teaching them the word of God. And without that, they plateau or they slide down. They don't reach their god-given potential and you know how it is how you're kind of messed up and you're thinking you know i just got to get to church and i hope the guy's got something to say that's going to get me straightened out and comforted and built up and encouraged because i need help right or you know how you didn't think anything was necessarily awry but you got to church and you heard a word of God that was something you would not have heard if you'd have been out on the golf course or sleeping in bed or watching some TV show. You realize it when you get here and you go, wow, that was good, that was helpful, that is, I am glad, I could see God preparing that for me. That's the purpose of the church, to grow you up in your Christian faith and maturities till we all become mature, like he said, into the likeness of Christ. And that's why we say get in, get involved with your church. The biggest and best thing that you can do at this church is listen. You got to listen. If you can't be sitting here in the pew, then you got to listen online. You got to be listening to the Word of God in the community of your church, so you can grow in the faith. We didn't just sit down and say, "Oh, what shall we preach on next?" But in prayer, thinking about the flock, thinking about all the wild ideas out there in the community, we sit down and say, let's do, a, let's do a series on relationships because people are struggling to have a godliness about their relationships with their family or their boss or their church or their fellow Christians, right, or their government. And so your church is planning out there ahead of you because God put them in your world and in your life so they could build you up and encourage you in the faith till you become mature like Christ is and the best thing you can do is to listen with an open heart and mind and to receive the means of grace to take the Lord's Supper for the right reasons understanding what it really is I would venture if I sat down with all of you each of you that there be half of you have forgotten the uh, Lord's Supper's deepest meaning now I know you're going wait a minute preacher how are you judging us that way I'm just saying because of the way when I talk with people about the Lord's Supper it's like they don't don't get anymore what deeply is happening there you know what as a teaser I'm not even going to tell you make an appointment I'll sit down with you right and let and, and, and this is planned let me also add this it's not just an aside I planned this sermons are not as effective as we might want to think. Because it's a one-way conversation. You're sitting there dutifully quiet, listening to me talk. But you can, like, go away and never change. Yeah, after all, you'll be here next Sunday sitting there again, right? They're not near as effective as being involved in some kind of small group relationship with other people around the word of God because there there is give and take there there is questions and looking in the eye there you can feel comfortable to ask your doubting your, your doubts you can get them out loud because you, you find an unconditional relationship with other Christians and you can finally get it off your chest because you feel safe to say it where you'd never stand up in church and say it here we'd be worried that you were going postal or something so but you would you would in a small group. You'd say, I have doubts. This is what I want to talk about. And there, the body of Christ can talk to you with the word of God open and pray with you and struggle over it. There, you can actually get your, your need for acceptance built up. It's hard just by where you sit in church and you're here and you're all quiet and you can get up and get out as fast as you want to to really get the benefit of the body of Christ of learning to interact and interdepend on one another. So here's what I'm challenging you to think about for the sake of the other people and for yourself think of your life what am i involved in out as in my church in the word of god outside of just sitting and listening to a sermon and get involved in a way just i'm not talking about consuming all of your time but get involved in you know, it doesn't have to be in a physical presence it could be on uh, an online with one of us or, a, or a, a, you could Skype in, but get involved in a group that gets together around the word of God. We have connect groups and this fall we'll give you opportunities to jump in other ones that you can that join in on, that would be awesome. And you'll experience the power of God's word in community maturing you into Christ. I'm gonna tell you something When Mary and I were were, uh, 19 years old and we started dating, my church had a, we didn't call them this, connect group on Saturday night. We called it young adult group. There was about 12 to 15 people. And many of us were desperately trying to give ourselves a Christian alternative to going out to the bars and doing things we shouldn't do. (laughs) And we stayed around the word of God. I was in that group four years, Mary too, before we left for me to go study. I finished college and me to go study for the ministry and we got married right at the end of college before the six years of school to be a pastor. Eight men out of that group became pastors. The group was only 20. (laughs) Eight men because in community of faith we talked it, lived it, worked it, and it became our passion to speak the truth in love as men of God. Now, that's just an example. When I say eight men became, there's there's a whole bunch of other life changes happening in everybody that was there. What's the purpose of the church? To grow you into Christ-likeness. And when you are with friends who will love you enough to stay with you no matter what, but confront you about what you need to be confronted about, amazing things happen in spiritual growth. And you know this in any other experience you've been a part of. If you get involved in, in an exercise class, or you get involved in a, a growing into a, a, a smarter person with your computer knowledge, whatever. It's, in, it's when you get into that commitment to an interactive relationship, not just a one-way communication. And in America, a lot of times what we're doing is we're, cre- we're lulling us, each other into a spectator Christianity because... One guy stands up here and talks, and the rest of us listen. So I'm just encouraging you. Think about that for your own personal life. Second purpose for the church in this section. Did you catch it? I think you did, but I'll just show you again. Go to verse 7. But to each one of us, grace was given as Christ apportioned it. And this is why it says, He ascended on high, he took many captives, and gave gifts to his people. He gave you gifts. And then if you go down to verse 11, he gave these pastors and teachers, see that? Pastors and teachers, verse 12, what's their purpose? To equip his people for what? Everybody say it with me. I know you're with me. Works of service. Now that can sound like, oh, now that's, they're going to put the obligation on me that I've got to be doing works of service. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Life is is happiest when you know you're fulfilling a purpose it is the reason we're not in heaven yet it is to fulfill a purpose of serving other people life is not about receiving it's about giving jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive that's what he's trying to tell james and john when their mother came and said sit can one of my kids sit on your right and your left he goes the son of man came to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. To be in the image of Christ, to grow into the image of Christ, is to grow with a deep understanding that I am at my very best when I am serving some way. Now, serving is as small as an encouraging word that is intentionally given. Like while you're driving to church, you say, if I see her, I'm going to encourage her in this way. And it's as big enough as obligating yourself to a standing position of service in God's church that's going to last a year or two or three but it's, it's, it's best done, according to the Bible, when it's shaped around the gifts that God has given you. Because it's your passion, and it's what you were made for. It's your sweet spot. But it's, it's a two-way street on this. The church is never perfect, except under Christ we're covered by Christ's righteousness. But in our activity, we're never perfect. But the two-way street is this. We've got to recognize your gifts and ask you to use them in a way that meets your passion and your gifts from God. But on the other side, you have to tell us and be around and be visible and interacting with us so we can get to know your gifts and passions and tell us how you're willing to serve. But nowhere in the word of God is, I've done this for so many years, so I'm tired. Let's let other people do it. It's time for the younger crowd to take over. It's time for the, let the older people do it. That's more important. We got a lot of responsibility right now in our life. I'm too young. I'm too single. There's no room for any of that. All that kind of thinking is, is about pulling away from that which would make you have the value that God wants you to experience of making an impact with your particular gifts that I don't have, that you other, your, your friends don't have. You see, he didn't give everybody the same gifts He did it as he apportioned it, that's in the verse, verse 7, so that we would interdependently meet each other and experience community. Now, I'm pressing this hard. I'm speaking it as a word from God that is really the, the, the gospel imperatives. You might call it Christian law. But I'm going to tell you again it's fun, it's pleasing to Christ who gave himself up for you it's spiritual it's your spiritual act of response to the good news that Christ gave it up all for you it's it completes a circle between you and Jesus i'm not preaching because you called me i'm preaching because my Jesus and me have something going on and i want to serve him this way and i get joy and the greatest joy when i know i'm just doing what Jesus made me to do And I want that very same thing for every single one of you. What I'm hoping to do is to aggravate you enough that you would start thinking about me and Jesus, how do I reclaim my motivation and think about in my place in life how I can enjoy serving even in the smallest way that it would be me fulfilling the purpose for the church. The church is God's very good idea. Remember the, the opening question or the statement, I don't believe in organized religion. It has a fraternal twin. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. I, this, the, again, to try to help people when they say that, You need to say, you're exactly right. You don't go to church to be a Christian. You believe in Jesus to be a Christian. But then, in some way, you need to kind of say, duh. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. But this this statement leaves off completely, completely what we do, why we go to church and be a part of a church community, is because we want to be a blessing to others. Right? This is God's very good idea. It's healthy and good for all of us. It's the way that the body of Christ, under the Spirit of God, keeps people safe until eternity. Do you remember right before he died, he had all the disciples together and he washed their feet. And he said, now what I've done for you, you do for what? Each other. As Christians, right? You take care of each other. And then he said this. By this, all people will know you're my disciples. If you have love for each other. Now, at the moment, he's not talking about love for the world. He's talking about love for each other, right? And then in Matthew 25, earlier that week, on Tuesday of that week, this was Thursday night, washing the feet, he said this, when I come back, I'm going to ask you, what did you do for the least of my believers? It's not what you do for everybody, but it's what you do for the church that is a sign of, of the faith in Jesus that we are God's people. That faith does express itself in doing things for everybody else. But if you have faith, you love God's people even when you're mad at them. (laughs) Even when they irritate you. Even when it doesn't quite go the way you want. Because they're God's bride, and you're God's bride, and you own them. You know how it is when you have a family member who's just going wayward, but you can't disconnect? Even if you say, I'm not going to talk to them, you're still connected to them. They're your brother. They're your sister, right? That's the way it is for Christians in the body of Christ. We we are stuck together by the blood of Jesus. Blood relatives. And we love each other, and we want to be a part of each other's life. And we love it, even though it's painful, and it hurts, and it's work. Because Jesus did it, and he brought us all together. And it's our meaning and our purpose until the day that we die to be taking care of his church. So it's a cold and indifferent and selfish thing to say. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. I want to be there because that's where my brothers and sisters are. And I want to be a part of their lives and I want them to be a part of mine. That's where I grow. And that's where I serve. Finally. I put up there on purpose, very good idea. Because what's the best idea? Jesus loves you. Jesus saves you. Jesus forgives you. Jesus is everything to us. While we strive, while we think, while we pray, while we work, We're completely, 100%, under the mercy and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. His best idea is not the church. His best idea is the cross. We are saved in Him, and we're loved by Him. And so we'll strive, but we'll strive knowing we're already redeemed. And then our life will be held in the proper balance and be productive. Amen.